James chapter 5, let's begin reading at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Lord, I pray for the next few moments now that you will open our hearts to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I pray that faith will begin to rise in the hearts of the people today and that you will then confirm your word at the end of this service as we put into practice the instructions we just read. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I especially pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask you to draw them back to you so that not one of them is lost. Thank you for hearing our prayer. We pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One subject that regularly makes its way to the front of public discussion, the topic of health care. Rarely does a week pass without an article written or a report released or a congressional hearing convened to address this issue that affects all of our lives. According to the latest statistics I was able to find, the United, Spa the United States spends more on health care than any other country. In 2022, we spent $4.5 trillion on national health care. That works out to about $10,784 for every man, woman, and child in this country. That figure represents 17.3% of gross domestic product in this country. And all of those are just numbers until the illness or the disease begins to affect you or someone close to you. And that's when the issue of health really begins to cause us to sit up and take notice. When we who are believers find ourselves facing challenges to our health, we are able to draw a certain amount of comfort and strength from the promise of God in Exodus 15, 26, where the Lord says through Moses, I am the Lord, your healer. Too often, however, those words are more of a theoretical construct than they are an experiential reality. Most people in this country have come to rely more on prescriptions than prayer. We look to the professionals with MD behind their name for relief more than we turn to the great physician. We live in a time where the miraculous is regarded as myth. 
The idea of a loving God who cares for the well-being of his creation has been replaced with a reliance on the latest report coming from a research laboratory. The possibility of there being an encounter with the supernatural has been dismissed as superstition. Even among those who might concede the records of healing in the Bible are accurate, some of those same people would either say they only had the appearance of the miraculous, but there was a very logical, natural explanation for what occurred, or they would say even if the healings were real in that day, the advancements in modern medicine have rendered those things unnecessary and obsolete for our present age. Today, I want to take just a few minutes to tell you God is still concerned about your health. Jesus is still the healer. The Holy Spirit is still powerful. And divine healing is for today. Before I get too deep into the subject, I want to make it very clear how thankful I am for the medical knowledge we have and for those who are in the medical profession. Most of the people I know in this field are dedicated professionals who are concerned about helping others and relieving suffering and bringing people to wholeness. At the same time, these very proficient men and women have limitations. They can evaluate and diagnose, but they can't cure. They can prescribe, but they can't heal. So this message isn't designed to dismiss the medical profession in any way. Neither is it the focus of this message to construct an apologetic for, the, for why everyone who prays or is prayed for doesn't receive healing. That's a message for another time. I will point out that the scriptures do teach about divine healing, and while they do teach about it, the main emphasis of the Bible for healing is on preventing rather than curing. Today, what I want to do is I want to narrow the focus to help you understand how healing is part of the basic fundamental teaching of the Bible. And I'm praying this understanding will cause faith to increase. And I'm intentionally going to limit my preaching time because at the end of the message, we're going to put into practice the instructions of the text we read just a few moments ago. We're going to pray in faith for those who need a healing touch. Before we get to that point, today I want to lift up four truths in this discussion of healing. Truth number one, Divine healing is a promise of Jesus. You know, one of the hallmarks of the three and a half years of the earthly ministry of Jesus was the miracles he performed, and especially the miracles of healing. He opened blind eyes, he unstopped deaf ears, he cleansed lepers, he caused the lame to walk, he restored withered limbs. In Matthew 4.24 and again in Matthew 12.16, diseased and demonized people were brought to Jesus and the biblical record is he healed them all. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth. Mark report, report, records the people took offense at him. They didn't receive him or his message because they were too familiar with him and they couldn't believe he was really the promised Messiah. Yet even in the face of opposition and rejection, he laid his hands on a few sick people, 
and healed them. A little later in that same chapter, Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs to do ministry. Verses 12 and 13 tell us they went out and preached that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. The ministry of Jesus was a healing ministry. But the emphasis was never on the miracle of healing. The miracle was always to verify his claims and point to the greater truth of Jesus as Savior. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, Jesus gave a commission to his followers. And the commission contained a promise. In verses 15 through 18, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and had been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. uh, Hebrews 13 and 8 proclaims Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means to me is that everything he was then, he is now. He was a healer then, he is a healer today. He promised his followers they would be agents of healing then. His promise holds true for his followers to be agents of healing today. Divine healing is the promise of Jesus. Truth number two. Divine healing is a product of the Spirit. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised he would send the Holy Spirit to abide with and empower his followers. Part of that empowerment is the ministry of healing. Jesus talked about this in John 14, 12, when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul gives a list of gifts or enablements of the Spirit. In verse 9, he identifies the gifts of healing as a manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that this is the only gift listed that is plural, gifts of healing. And I take this to mean two things. First, there are many different kinds or varieties of healing that are needed, spiritual, emotional, psychological, social, etc. Second, there are many different kinds of diseases that affect different areas of our bodies from which we need to be healed. Now, I want you to understand something. It is not accurate to say that somebody has a gift of healing. The gift is the Holy Spirit's gift. And he manifests that gift through individuals according to his divine will and purpose. So there is really no such thing as a healing evangelist. There is such a thing as someone that the Holy Spirit often works through to bring healing to people. But the gift resides with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't reside with us. Understand that. I know that may seem like a, 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 a fine distinction, but it's an important one for you to remember because we should never look to the individual for our healing. We always look to the Lord for our healing. Now see, the Holy Spirit is both a general practitioner and a specialist. <laughs> 
When the Spirit is at work in the life of a believer, he will minister general health and wholeness. In addition, he will target specific areas where healing grace is needed. When we are filled with the Spirit, we can expect to be empowered to bring healing and wholeness to hurting, broken people in this world. That's why when I say the gift is the Holy Spirit, it's not yours. That's why you very well could be the instrument that the Holy Spirit would use to bring healing to somebody else. So don't ever back away from that. He is the Holy Spirit of power. And part of that power is to release the healing grace of Jesus into lives that are diseased and infirm, body, mind, soul, and spirit. Truth number three. Some of you look at me like, I have never seen him preach this fast in my life. Truth number three, divine healing is a practice of the early church. The book of Acts sets a pattern for the ministry of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see the ministry of healing demonstrated as part of the mission of the church. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John are on their way to the temple when they encounter a begging lame man sitting at the gate called Beautiful. Instead of a hand out, Peter gives him a hand up. He says in verse six, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk, pulled him to his feet. The man received strength in his ankles and feet. He leaped and stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. Now there's something there that I've read. I I don't know how many times I've read and I've just read past it. But it's interesting to me when it says the man was lame from birth. Have you ever seen somebody learning to walk? When they, you know, the children and toddlers, you know, they're unsteady and they weeble wobble a little bit, you know. Sometimes they do fall down and they get going and they, you know, get overbalanced and fall and trip. The miracle was not only that the man was able to get strength and stand up, but suddenly nobody has to teach him how to walk. He doesn't stumble around. He doesn't have to gain his body. He goes walking and leaping and praising God. I'm telling you, that's a double miracle. In Acts 14, the ministry of healing is again on display when the apostle Paul was at Lystra. There was another lame lame man in the congregation who had never walked. Same thing. As he listened to Paul preach, Paul looked at him and discerned through the spirit. He had faith to be healed. Paul said to him in verse 10, stand upright on your feet. And the man, the Bible says, immediately leaped up and began to walk. The power of the Holy Spirit was so powerful in the life of the apostle Peter that Acts chapter five, verse 15 records the sick were carried out into the streets and laid on cots and pallets so that when Peter walked by, at least his shadow might fall on them. And when it did, they were miraculously healed. In Acts chapter 19, Paul was bringing the message to the city, the gospel message to the city of Ephesus. Verses 11 and 12 tell us God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. 
Acts chapter 27 records the story of Paul being shipwrecked on his way to Rome. In the next chapter, he and all the members on board the ship managed to get safely to the island of Malta. There, while gathering wood on the beach, a poisonous viper came out of the bundle of sticks Paul was carrying to the fire and bit Paul on the hand. Well, instead of the normal course of events where Paul would swell and foam at the mouth and have seizures and die within a few minutes, Paul simply shook the snake off into the fire and went about his business with no harmful effects. One of the leading citizens of that island was a man named Publius. Right after this event with the snake on the beach, they found out the father of Publius was very ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him, prayed, laid hands on him, and the man was healed. When word of this healing spread, verse 9 of chapter 28 of Acts tells us after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. The early church sets the pattern for how the church is to function in this modern age. Part of the mission and ministry of the church is healing. That's why James writes in the words of our text and gives a procedure to follow for ministry to those who are sick and afflicted. Call the elders of the church. Pray over the one who is ill. Anoint that person with oil in the name of the Lord. Believe the promise of God for divine healing. It's important to clearly define the roles. We cannot do God's part. God will not do our part. Our job is to call the elders, pray, anoint with oil in the name of the Lord, exercise faith, give God an opportunity to work. God's job is to heal. Again, God will not do our part. And as much as we want to, we cannot do God's part. He is the healer. We are merely the instrument to give opportunity for the healing to occur. There is no guarantee someone will receive healing when we pray. But it is almost always guaranteed they will not receive divine healing if we fail to pray. Here they are again. Truth number one. Divine healing is a promise of Jesus. Truth number two, divine healing is a product of the Spirit. Divine, uh, truth number three, divine healing is a practice of the early church. Everybody with me so far? Last one. Truth number four, divine healing is a provision of Calvary. Divine healing isn't something we have to try and conjure up. We don't have to get all emotionally worked up about it. Divine healing isn't something we have to earn. Divine healing isn't something we have to work hard to manufacture. We don't have to have the organ swell. We don't have to have the choir sing. We don't have to have everybody cheer. Divine healing doesn't say anything about our hard work. Divine healing doesn't say anything about our goodness. But it testifies volumes about God's goodness. Divine healing is a work of God's grace. And divine healing is provided through the price Jesus paid on Calvary's cross. See, not only did Jesus die to pay the penalty for our sin, but Jesus was wounded and beaten and striped to provide healing for those places where we are diseased and broken and hurting. The Old Testament prophet looked forward in anticipation of this event when he spoke in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. 
Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. The apostle Peter looked back on this event and declared in 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, you were healed. It's an accomplished fact. When Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished, that didn't just mean the work of salvation. It also meant the completed provision for the healing of your body. Just as his death provided a complete atonement for your sin, so the wounds on his body provided a complete healing for your infirmity. Jesus took stripes upon his back, so you don't have to take disease into your body. His stripes are for healing of every disorder you may face. His stripes take care of infectious disorders, infertility disorders, musculoskeletal disorders, cardiovascular disorders, respiratory disorders, gastrointestinal disorders, neurological disorders, immune disorders, gynecological disorders. His stripes take care of disorders as a result of injuries and also any complications from medical procedures. His wounds provide healing for Crohn's disease, for neuropathy, for diabetes, for high blood pressure, for migraines, for cancer, for asthma, for lupus. His wounds provide healing for every organ and every system of the body to function the way it was designed and created to function. See, the medical profession groups illnesses into major and minor, right? When we're told something is minor, we don't pray because we don't feel the need. Well, it's just minor. When we're told something is major, we don't pray because we feel it's beyond help. In both cases, we fail to bring God into the equation. There are some diagnoses that cause fear to take hold of our hearts to the point we can't pray. You know, we have names for diseases and names have power. Some of them are horrible names. Names we shudder to have spoken over our lives. When you sit in the doctor's office and he pronounces one of these names over you, it's almost like he pronounced a death sentence and sealed your destiny because of the fear it strikes in your heart. You know, we don't hear much about it today, at least as much about it today as we did a few years ago, but AIDS is one of those names. COVID has become one of those names. Alzheimer's. Muscular sclerosis, cystic fibrosis. Those are fear names. Perhaps the most dreaded name today that we don't, nobody wants to hear is cancer. Names cause us to become fearful. Names cause us to lose hope. Names cause us to give up in despair. Names cause us to update our will contact the mortuary, and call in the family. 
But I came to this service today to proclaim another name. I came to proclaim a name that is above every other name. I came to proclaim a name before which every other name must bow. I came to proclaim a name whose power was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary and in the empty tomb of the resurrection. This name cancels fear. This name soothes pain. This name binds up brokenhearted. This name breaks yokes of bondage. This name heals afflicted bodies. The name I'm talking about today is the chief cornerstone. I'm talking about the lion from the tribe of Judah. I'm talking about the bright and morning star. I'm talking about the lily of the valley. I'm talking about the fairest of 10,000. I'm talking about Mary's baby, Bethlehem's glory, Golgotha's agony, the empty tomb's victory. I'm talking about Jesus, the only begotten son of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to tell you, he isn't just the healer of Nazareth. He isn't just the helper of Galilee. He isn't just the deliverer of Israel. He isn't just the savior of the world. This Jesus is your healer. He's your helper. He's your deliverer. He's your savior. He's your Jesus. There's life in his name. There's healing in his name. Yes, there is. You may have been listening to this message thinking there was no hope. You may have thought there was no help. I'm here to tell you I know another name. It's a name of help, a name of power. I know Jesus. And even now, he is speaking life and health to you. There is healing through the name of Jesus because of the provision of Calvary. Pastor Larry, come and help me. It's time to pray. It's time to put the procedure into practice. As far as I know, everybody in the room is healthy. But I also know that the Lord doesn't put a message on my heart for this day without it needing to speak to somebody that needs to hear it. Somebody needs to hear that message today. Somebody needs faith to rise in your heart today. Somebody needs to give God an opportunity one more time to bring healing and health and wholeness to your body. I wish I had guarantees. I wish I could say, you know, we, we, we do X, Y, and Z and boom, you'll go on your way rejoicing and healed and whole. But you know, I'm not God. Some of you already knew that, but I just thought I'd throw that in in case there was a question in your mind. You know, I can't, I, I can't determine that. that. We leave that to his sovereignty. But at the same time, we practice what he has instructed us in his word. And we believe that God still does this. And if you don't think God still heals, you, you, you came way too late to convince me of that. 
I've probably told this story, but I'm sure I have. You know, when you've pastored in the same place for 25 years, you've probably heard all the stories I've got. But for those of you that may have walked in and haven't heard it, this one happened probably, uh, it's probably 35, 40 years ago now. Maybe not quite 40, maybe 35 years ago. You see my son, Sean, around here. He's off in the drumming. He's children's pastor. He's back with the children right now. Sean was born two months premature. Spent the first two months of his life in the ICU unit, Ball Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg, Florida. After he got out, you know, one of the issues with being born premature is, I'm told this, that the lungs are one of the last things to fully develop before birth. And Sean's lungs were not fully developed. As a result, he had all kinds of breathing issues. Sean uh, struggled. I can't tell you the number of nights I've sat up with him with the humidifier going and medications and me holding him. We would have to periodically lay him across my lap on his stomach and cup my hand and beat on his chest to break up stuff in his lungs so that he could breathe. Watched him struggle night after night after night to breathe. He enjoyed playing sports and he'd be out on the field and sometimes we'd have to just call him to the, you got to sit down on the sidelines for a little bit. He, oh, he hated that. He would protest, but the boy was wheezing and gasping and could barely breathe. <laughs> so you just got to catch your breath here, bud. One night, he was about, he was probably around 10 years old. May have been a little, may, may have been seven. I don't remember. Somewhere in that, somewhere between seven and 10. We were in a camp meeting service, our Florida camp meeting. God's presence was very real. People were already down in the front praying. The place was just packed with people praying. I was up on the platform playing for the service that night. The guy who was the, the overseer came to the pulpit and he took the microphone and he said, the Lord just speaks to me right now and says that there's, that he's bringing healing to people who have problems breathing with asthma and those kinds of things. Sean, Sean had an inhaler that he had to have with him. It was, it, was, it was just, it was a big deal. He said, but the Lord speaks to me and says, God's bringing healing for that particular illness. And if you have that problem, I want you to come down and we're gonna pray for you. Well, the place was packed. Nobody could get down. Nobody could get forward. And I looked up from the, from the piano where I was playing and, and the, toward the back, I saw this little guy stand up. He was sitting toward the back and walk all by himself. He got as close as he could to the front. He was kind of standing over in this area by a, by a big column that was there, standing all by himself, believing that maybe God had spoken that word for him. The guy was part of my church at the time in South Florida, one of my elders happened to be in that service and saw Sean when he came down and stood there. And he walked over to him and just put his hand on his shoulder and let him know somebody was praying for him. 
He prayed. There's no lightning flashes. No, you know, no thunderbolts, no, no voice from heaven, no form of a dove fluttering over his head. No pixie dust. It's just a simple time of prayer. But from that day until today, and he's 43 years old now, he's never had another asthma issue. He's never used an inhaler again. God supernaturally healed him of every bit of that problem. He went on to study music, got his bachelor's and then his master's degree as a French horn player. I'm telling you, Jesus still does that. He still heals people today. I only tell you that story to let you know that Jesus is still working. He's still the healer. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Elders of the church that are present and you can come. Some of you elders may need prayer. If you need prayer, just stay in your seat and we'll call you later. But to, if you're able to come and minister, I'm gonna ask you to get up from your seats right now. Come stand here in the front and prepare to minister to people. sing this with me before I invite you to come. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. Surely he bore my sorrows and by his stripes I am healed sing it one more time as a statement of faith he was wounded for my transgressions he was bruised for my iniquities. Surely he bore my sorrows and by his stripes I am healed. Now, if you need the healing grace of Jesus in your body, in your life, I'm just gonna ask you to stand 
Move to the nearest aisle and come. And these elders are going to anoint you with oil and they're going to pray over you and they're going to believe with you that Jesus is still the healer and he'll be your healer. was wounded.